Hey guys, it's Heidi. Can you believe it's been an entire year since we've started recording Wine Crush? We've heard so many amazing stories of the different Oregon winemakers. We would love for you to be part of our journey and leave us a review on iTunes so not only do we know how we're doing, but so others can find us a little easier. Now onto the show. Stay tuned for Wine Crush, Northwest Wine Stories Uncorked. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. Thanks for joining us here on Portland Radio Project. Today, host Heidi Moore will guide us through two stories of local winemakers. The first comes from a couple who sought to build a life of adventure in the form of winemaking. The second demonstrates how if a vineyard is treated as an entire living organism, it will best showcase its identity through the fruit it develops. We are talking with Grant Coulter and Renee St. Amour from 100 Sons Wines today. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank of you course. for having We're us. So yes, I'm so glad you guys followed me out here from the Willamette Valley and all the way into Portland on a Friday. Um, so you both came from California. So how did you meet? Because you are married and mm-hmm. you are making wine together. So let's start from your story in California and kind of how this all happened. Okay. Uh, so Grant and I actually grew up in the same small town in, in Monterey, California, and kind of circled around each other and didn't meet until we were later in our adult lives through mutual friends. Um, and kind My of, sister. Well, yeah, Grant's sister and a good friend of mine. And sort of chased each other around a little bit until we were both single and, um, and then ended up on a few fateful dates The second date, I think, that we ever went on, he said, so how would you feel about moving into the country somewhere very remote um, to make wine? And I was like, oh, man. That's like the million-dollar question right there. That was bold. Well, I was working at this this winery called Rosenblum, and I took her back to an open house, and they made some pretty high-octane wines. So we had like 30 wines that day, and so by that point, I think she was – Inagreeable. Oh, yeah. I, it I sounds like she was agreeable bald. anyway. <laughs> we had fun. So early on, I kind of knew and he had been at the Enology and Viticulture School in Fresno and had been working harvests and at wineries for years. And so um, he was getting ready to kind of, I think you're getting ready to plant some roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I think I could do that. And six months later, he was on a plane to Oregon and um, getting ready to move up here to go uh, work for Eric Homaker at the Carlton Winemaker Studio. Yeah, and I worked there. We came up in 06, and I worked there for a year. And then I got very lucky and got a job working over at Beaufrere with Mike Etzel as his assistant and um, and then worked there for nine years and worked my way up through the vineyards and the winery and worked up to winemaker um, and stayed there um, for a long time and learned a lot, um, not only about making wine and growing grapes, but about selling wine and um, being being in the encompassed in the whole wine world. Uh, and then uh, in 2016, I got asked by this guy, Marty, to take over his project in terms of winemaking and oversight of vineyards called Flaneur. So we had started making our 100 Sons wine. So we moved out of Beaufrere and we started making our wines over at the Flaneur space. And I was making the Flaneur wines. And 
since then in the last, you know, four vintages, we've kind of moved every year to a new winemaking space. We're sort of, you know, we're kind of transient in that way, just finding the right place for us. And, you know, hopefully um, soon enough, we'll have our, our own, our own little space to call our own. I think the sort of the, the side note to all of that is that Grant has been working at these other, you know, really reputable wine houses. Um, and in 15, when we decided that we wanted to do something together, I had been teaching high school up in, um, in the Portland Clackamas area. And we kind of knew that the only way we were going to be able to start our own thing was, hey, to move out of the city because we were, you know, he was commuting all that way. And we needed for me to be on the ground um, during harvest and the rest of the year making and selling wine because he wasn't planning on ever, you know, he was, he's happily employed. Um, so we sold our house in Portland at a, like a really good time. And we took everything that we made from that house. We bought a tiny little fixer upper in Mac, and then we put everything else into barrels and, um, you know, fruit. And we started our project that way. And we've just sort of continued to to bootstrap this all the way through. Um, and I think that's something that makes our project special is that it really is just the two of us mm -hmm. pretty much <laughs> doing all aspects of yeah, the business. Which, yeah, which it's really cool because I've really gotten to know you guys in the last, you know, nine months, year or whatever. And I know you've just taken a brand new step. And so in a second, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We'll come right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. So we ended up leaving off on kind of a little teaser that you guys had moved on to something else here recently or the next step of your story and projects. So you just bought a vineyard. So how does that play into all of this and what you're doing with your wine? Well, you know, it's something that we've wanted to do for a long time, but couldn't necessarily afford. So we had to find ourselves sort of a pocket-sized vineyard. Um, so we got lucky um, and found a four and a half acre piece of property with an old four acre vineyard on it um, that was planted uh, in the early 70s. Own rooted um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, this guy, Rich Zielinski, planted it back in the day. Originally, it was planted a plum, Brooks Plums, and tore those out because he couldn't make any money on them. And he knew David Lett, and he used to be uh, used to go down there and drink wine with him. He said, "You know, you should plant some grapes on this property." So he did, um, and he sold them to people for years and years, and just farmed it himself. He he worked uh, as a logistics manager for a grocery store chain, and and then you know he was trying to sell it for a while, but the vines are old, and I think a lot of people weren't as interested in taking it on because they were either going to have to tear it out or it was going to take a lot of rehabilitation. Um, but I've worked with old vines, and I kind of understand um, how they age, and I'm hoping to sort of keep them going for a while. And we got a little bit of fruit off of it this year, the first vintage, um, and it was just pretty profound fruit and I was so excited about it. So I want to do everything we can to nurse this vineyard along um, and keep it going uh, uh, for the years to come. And then, you know, that's sort of the cornerstone, I would say now of our, our portfolio. Um, but we have been really lucky over these years 
um, especially working at Beaufrere to make connections with people. Uh, and those have led to some really unique finds in terms of the vineyards that we're sourcing fruit from. So one of the vineyards, Bednarik, is an old vineyard out in Cherry Grove um, that was planted by this guy, William, and farmed by some friends of ours who were formerly helping farm the Beaufrere Vineyard. And William, you know more about William. I mean, he was just kind of a a guy that got back from the war years ago and planted his own vineyard and just wanted to tend to it and kind of fell into some obscurity, but then has now sort of come back into people's frame um, of view. And we're, we're working with the fruits Some friends of ours at Martin Wood are working with the fruits. So it's really exciting to be, you know, making these wines and with other people that we really respect Shea is really special to us because I worked with it years ago. Um, and then Sequitur, which is a vineyard that um, it's Mike Etzel's home vineyard. So we're, we're sourcing fruit from that. Um, and, you know, we've got cool little projects like Gamay coming out and our Grenache and some of our Amphora raised wine. So, you know, these are all coming from really unique and interesting sites that we're, we, we have access to, which is part of the fun. It is part of the fun. And I know, you know, that just makes what you're doing a little bit more um, diverse, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. though it may all be Pinot, it's coming from different areas, different terroir, different mm -hmm. whatever, to where you're going to get different, you know, nuances within the wine. Uh, one thing I want to make sure that we talk about quickly is just that this is a family project. So not only is it you and Renee, but you have kids and who else is involved in the projects that you've got going on? Well, I mean, I think it's it is definitely something that, especially now that we're living on this property, which has the vineyard, it's really cool to be able to get out there and see that Grant's out there showing and explaining our kid to our kids how he's pruning the vines and they're out there pulling brush with me. Um, so they're really involved in that level, and our families are incredibly involved in just supporting us through harvest and coming in and helping us in the cellar. Um, you know, we couldn't do it without them, but it's really the the rest of Hundred Sons is really propelled just by us. Grant does all of the labels, which are beautiful, um, and uh, and then in the local market, I go out and sell the wines, um, and you know, develop the website and do the accounting and and the Instagram and the social media. <laughs> all the rest and, of it is yes. just done by the two of us, and so um, yeah, it feels it feels really close to us. Personally. And it's rewarding. I know when I was up at the house the other day, you had your little hand wax dipping station out in your elf workshop, you know, yeah. which I just, I love stuff like that. It's, it's fun. It's colorful. It really shows that you guys are really bootstrapping from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have not talked about the wine yet. Um, and you have bought a, brought us a lovely bottle of the Pinot. So we're going to stop for a second, come right back and we're going to talk wine. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. Okay, well, we left off talking about wine because we've been drinking wine since you've been here, but we actually have not talked about your wine. So mm -hmm. the show is yours. Well, um, the wines themselves... The biggest thing is that we want our wines to be delicious. And that means so many things to us. Uh, we follow a very natural process. You know, when the when the wines come or the grapes come into the winery, we treat everything with as gentle, you know, sort of kitten hands as we can. Um, everything is native yeast. 
Um, everything is <laughs> sorry. <laughs> everything is everything is um, mostly Renee's doing the work. You know, the pump overs and the punch downs. I, I've seen the, the kid. Kid. <laughs> I've I've seen the pictures. Yeah. Renee, like yeah. like chest deep in her overalls in the yeah. in the tanks. Yeah. He he's the artiste. He tells me what to do, and I like comply. I just I follow through. And she is meticulous. <laughs> she is the best. Like. Everything is is perfectly done, and there's you know it, it's a perfect. Uh, I think it drives him crazy because it takes me twice as long to do anything though as it should take a normal person. But never grape out of place, <laughs> right? But we want our wines to be expressive. You know, we use we use all kinds of different techniques in terms of you know whole cluster or carbonic or destem, but trying to keep everything as pure as possible. So we're not adding anything to the wines, and we're trying to keep them, you know. Yes, about the place and about us and what we like in wine, which are wines that are are stimulating and complex and delicious, uh, that are approachable, that age. Uh, we want kind of everything. So we hold ourselves to a really high standard and we're lucky to have very good fruit to work with. Uh, you know, sometimes when we do the math on like our old eight cut, which is our Willamette Valley blend, doesn't pencil out that well when you're putting, you know, shea fruit into a $28 bottle of wine. But what we have is something that we love. Um, and then like the wine we're drinking now, the Bednarik, uh, I love this vineyard because um, it's always the last stuff we pick. It's the coolest site we have way out in Cherry Grove. Um, it's the lightest color. But if you weren't paying attention and didn't look at the color, sometimes it's the most explosive. You know, it has these crazy berry characters to it. It's it's complex and deep. It has long finish, um, sweet, silky palette. It's everything you want in Pinot Noir. Um, so I just feel really lucky to have these really amazing raw materials to work with. And then it's just kind of how we guide it through the cellar and how, you know, through barrel aging, Sometimes we'll use, you know, for some of our wines, we'll use terracotta. Sometimes we'll use, you know, we'll use barrels. Um, so it just kind of depends on ways of sculpting the wine, but not really trying to jam it into a mold. Which I, I love. I mean, I love all the descriptive words that you use as far as like the wine. Because for me, who is not a super sophisticated wine drinker, if I were to hear this podcast, I'd go looking for that wine because it's silky smooth and it's this and it's that and the other because that's what appeals to me. And so I love hearing that to where it's – they're words that a wine drinker that's a novice or someone that's not super um, high-end with their palate can appreciate and identify with. So what's next? What's in the future? So we've talked about Pinot. Do we have any white on the forefront anytime soon? We do, actually. Yeah. We uh, – an exciting development was um, a friend of ours, Kevin Chambers, who has – he is a, a legend in the valley. Um, he and his family planted a vineyard called Kusan Farms um, up at one of the highest peaks just up the road from where you live in yes, the Amity I, mean, I know them. I just, just <laughs> chatted with them at the symposium. Yeah. Yes. So they planted this incredible vineyard uh, that is coming online next year. Uh, so we're going to be sourcing some Chardonnay from them, a very one ton, um, just to start with. And that, you know, the, the soils and the place are, and the people are just a perfect match. And so when they offered the fruit to us, we couldn't say no. And so we're really excited about working with that. So that'll be our first foray into Chardonnay. I, I make Chardonnay for Flaneur, but this will be the first 100 sons. And then in 2018, we also have Gamay, which will be our first foray into Gamay for 2018. 
And so we're really excited about that. Well, I'm excited for my next invitation back up to the house. Anytime. So, and I know you guys are super, um, or at least Renee is on Instagram with pictures and things like that. So to find you, we just need to find you on social media at this point, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can go to Facebook and 100 Cents Wine, Instagram um, at 100 Cents Wine. And um, we have a website where you can also buy wine directly there um, at 100centswine.com. Well, thank you, too, for following me out of the valley out here in Portland. And I'll be waiting for my invitation back up to the house for another glass. Absolutely. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Let's hop on over to our next guest today, Morgan Back from Johan Vineyards. Welcome, Morgan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I had the pleasure of coming up and talking with you and and Daniel, who we'll talk about in a little bit as well, um, and understand and learn the story about Johan Vineyards, which is outside of Amity, between Amity and Monmouth um, on 99, down in kind of the South Valley. So Let's start from the history and where Johan Vineyard came from and go from there. Yeah. Um, So I guess to start with, we're a vineyard and winery uh, located just kind of west of Salem and south of Amity in the brand new Van Duzer Corridor uh, AVA, which is the Willamette Valley's newest nested AVA. Which is exciting. It's always exciting when you add a new AVA. Super exciting. Yes. Yeah. It's been in the works for almost seven years and was finally just officially approved in early January. So um, it's this really special place um, that's kind of this big triangular area um, just south of Amity. And there's a big uh, corridor that goes out to the ocean called the Van Duzer Corridor. And in the summers, we get really warm in the valley, and it causes a big heat sink and pulls in all of this cold air. It's like a light switch at 2 or 3 o'clock every afternoon. We have all of this wind that flows in. It, it's almost well like clockwork. <laughs> yes. At 3 o'clock, you can almost guarantee a breeze from the ocean. Yeah. Not that it helps the heat necessarily as yeah, a whole, yeah. but it does definitely make things Feels, refreshing, probably yeah. both for us and the grapes. Exactly. Yeah, so we're normally, um, I'd I'd consider us, well, we're still lower elevation in comparison to our friends over at the Eola Hills across the way or up in Dundee Hills, but um, we definitely are a week or two behind in terms of harvest, so just a little bit cooler. And it's all really interesting. If you, as a a wine drinker or connoisseur, the whole AVA thing is really kind of a foreign concept. I mean, they don't realize that elevation and mm-hmm. wind and places in the valley actually affect the grapes and how things taste in yeah. the end product. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what happens with the the new AVA. But I know Johan Vineyards isn't just about you. Um, there is some history to it. And you're kind of a newer, newer comer to the winery. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the property was purchased in 2005 by our owner, uh, dog Johan Sunby. And he decided right off the bat that he wanted to farm organically. He hired uh, Dan Rinke, our head wine grower in 2007, who said, 
yep, let's do it organic, but let's take it one step further and go for biodynamics. So we started the conversion to organic and biodynamic farming in 2007, and we're granted certification in 2010. Um, the whole property is 175 acres, and we have 85 under vine, currently now with 15 different varieties. So continuing to diversify and explore really what is doable and what you know produces the best expression of Oregon wine on our site. And 15 varietals is, it's a lot. And they're not, they're not the common ones that everybody is expecting, like Pinot and Chardonnay and Pinot Gris. Mm -hmm. um, you have other things that I can't pronounce that are sitting <laughs> on the table in front of us. Um, I want to take a few minutes and kind of dive back into that in here in a few minutes. Um, what else is unique about the land itself? Where it's at, what the history encompasses with Johan? Um, I would say for us, our biggest and kind of uh, best talking point is our, our farming. We're really committed to organic and biodynamic farming because we feel that that um, provides the truest expression of the site and that follows through fully in our wines as well. So we have a big kind of focus on soil uh, health um, our farming is definitely our our focus. The wines are a beautiful product from it. So awesome. We are going to come right back and I want to talk about all these different varietals um, that you guys are doing up there and we'll be right back. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. We left off talking about the different varietals that Johan is doing up at the vineyard and experimenting with to a certain extent, just because there, are, you, it, there is a huge differentiation between what are the standards, quote unquote, of the valley and where the climate and the elevation and the things, you know, really kind of um, lend to the different varieties that are in the valley. But you guys are doing some different stuff that I've never heard of. I can't even pronounce what it's on the two beautiful bottles sitting in front of me. So tell us, tell us what you guys are doing up there and what you're experimenting with and why. Sure. I guess to start with, the original plantings on the property were uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, all Dijon clones on both of those. Um, we planted an additional 25 acres of um, multiple different selections of both Pinot and Chardonnay that are higher acid selections that um, we feel are potentially a bit better suited for Oregon climate. Um, we also started grafting over some of the Pinot Noir on the property to kind of decrease that percentage and um, bring some more diversity into the system. So we brought in some um, Gruner Veltliner and Blau Frankisch, which we have here today. Which is my favorite thing to say. I butcher it every time <laughs> every I say it, but, but I'm getting better. The yeah. Blau Frankisch. Okay. So two Austrian varieties. Um, we brought in some Pinot Gris as well. And then Cab Franc and Milan de Bourgogne and Gamay. And then as of 2017, we added a couple more Austrian reds, um, Saint Laurent and Zweigelt. 
and then some Ribola giala and kerner and mandoose. Um, so I guess the main thing is we're just continuing to kind of question and experiment what can do well here in Oregon and specifically on our site and what brings the truest expression of that place. Um, really the goal is to find, I hope, a commonality across multiple different varieties that will show through and really um, kind of guide us back to what, what does this specific place have to share. Um, so we do sell about 60% of the grapes that we currently produce, um, and we make, you know, just right around four, actually as of this year, 6,000 cases of wine ourselves. Um, we do some Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and Pinot Gris, but which we are drinking today, which, which is totally out of the norm because it's pink. It's pink. Yeah. Yes. So this is our Druskal, and Druskal means grape skin in Norwegian. Our owner dog is from Norway. Um, so we have a couple of wonky Norwegian names on our wines. But this wine, we, you know, Pinot Gris is traditionally made into a white wine where you put the grapes directly in the press and press and ferment the juice away from the skins. In this case, we've chosen to keep the grapes in contact with the juice. So you pick up all of the tannin and all of the aromatics that you would normally get when you see a red wine. So I think for this wine, for me, you have the aromatic profile of a white, but you have the tannin and texture of a red. And we find it's really fun, specifically with food. Um, yeah, it's just kind of our take on Pinot Gris. I was excited when I saw this pour out of the bottle because I'm a sucker for pink wine because it's just, it's easy to drink and it's friendly and, and it's pretty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it, this isn't cotton candy pink. It's an off, off color of pink, but it's not white and it's not red. It's a nice in between. And it's just, it's, it's nice to see these different expressions of a wine that is traditionally something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we also, really enjoy the couple Austrian varieties that we've been working with since I guess their first year um, producing grapes was two, 2011. So the Gruner Veltliner is a white grape, um, has a lot of texture and, you know, the viscosity of the wine or the juice coming out of the press is, is quite heavy. So it kind of has this weight um, and really different kind of vegetal fruit profile, which is interesting for a white wine. Um, and then the Blaufrankisch that we have as well today, that's a Austrian red variety that um, we started with just an acre of both of those grapes and we've expanded the plantings on both since because we feel like they fit really well. And I'm interested to hear a little bit more about why the Austrian variety. So we're gonna pause for just a second and come right back and I wanna pick back up on that. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We left off talking about the Austrian 
um, influence on the wines and the, the vines that you have planted. But we have failed to mention that you are the head winemaker and you're making a lot of these decisions in these beautiful wines. So thank you um, again for joining us and making and bringing this um, to us to enjoy. So let's go back to the Austria thing because you have some control over this and what you're doing with these wines. So what is, what is the plan? Austria. Yeah. Yeah, Why Austria? (laughs) Austria is a long way from the Willamette Valley. It is. And it originally came about. um, So the Gruner and the Blaufrankisch were grafted into the vineyard in 2010. And that came about basically just having the realization that we had a whole lot of Pinot Noir on the property and maybe there is something else that can do well on this site. Um, So Dan and Dog were kind of drinking around the world at that point and just trying to figure out what are other regions in this world um, with similar climates and what are grape varieties that could potentially do well. And so we started with just one acre of each of them to see if they would ripen, to see if they would be expressive and we love both of them. So yeah. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of drinking and experimenting around the world. I'm thinking that that's gonna be my next job. I'm not sure I'm gonna manage it, but we're gonna we're gonna figure it life out. Life goals. Uh, total life goals. <laughs> total life goals. So do we have anything new to look forward to in the vineyard this coming year that maybe isn't on the market or in the tasting room? Yeah. Um so we will be bottling actually I just Submitted labels this morning. We're bottling a bunch of things here coming up this spring. Um, We have a couple of really fun sparkling wines coming out this spring. So we just said the magic word right there. Sparkling. Yes, I will be back. (laughs) Um, We kind of have a different take on sparkling wine. We make a Petiant Naturel, which is basically a naturally sparkling wine. Um, You ferment the wine down and put it to bottle and capture the end of fermentation in the bottle. And that's what makes it bubbly. So um, it's actually a method that predates the champagne method and super simple as long as you nail that bottling date correctly. Um, We've been making our Rosé of Pinot Noir Pet Nat since uh, 2014, but um, we started playing with some Milan de Borgogna in 2016. And then as of this year, we're doing a, a skin contact gruner sparkling as well. That's exciting. So, so more, a little more pink. Yeah. Lots of fun wines, I think, for the spring. This year was, was definitely a big year for us. 2018, we brought in quite a bit more fruit and it just allowed for a lot more experimentation. So we did some really interesting co-ferments with some grape varieties that we normally have kept apart. Um, we're not really sure what that will look like or how those bottlings will end up. That will be next fall. So that'll be something to look forward to as well. So we haven't talked about the tasting room. It's a gorgeous location. It is a hell of drive up the hill to get up there. So don't Stop. Don't stop. Keep keep going. Keep going. Until you get there. So tell us again where we can find it and what where else we can find you as well. Yeah. So our wines are definitely um around Portland and small wine shops and and restaurants, but also come on out and visit us. We'd love to see you. Um there's 
a whopping four of us that work there and we're all involved in making the wine through harvest, farming the grapes, pruning the grapes, um, selling the wine. That's, you know, we'll all be pouring in the tasting room at all times. And the tasting room is open every day from 12 to 5. So as long as you can make it up our, our tiny hill, you'll be able to find us. It's so worth a drive. It's so pretty out there. So thanks again, Morgan, for driving out and being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining us for the fifth episode of Wine Crush Season 2. Have a great weekend, and we will see you at the bottom of the glass. Thank you.